How are you guys doing? You well? Are you ready to start? Let me ask everybody here to introduce themselves and say whether they are an entrepreneur or an employee. We can start with Frankie on your side. My name is Francis Karuga. I'm happily employed at Indahash.com. Okay, so employee. My name is Anna Njoroge. I am insanely entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, okay. All right, Philip Moturi Moturi. Name's so nice, gotta say it twice. Uh, I'm an employee at uh, Shara. Okay, employee. Hi, everyone. I am Anne Mohia, entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. Okay, so we have two entrepreneurs and we have two employees. And of course, as you guys know, the conversation that we're having today is basically entrepreneurship versus employment and trying to figure out which is the best way to financial stability. So my first question um, to the panel, um, now that we know where they're all from, is what's the start-off point like um, as an employee and as an entrepreneur? What's the start-off point um, and how much money are you making as you start off as an entrepreneur, how much money did you make in your experience as an entrepreneur and as an employee? What was your first salary? First. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, my first salary was zero. And I came from a place of making $250,000 a year in employment. But it was more about the passion in building something bigger than myself. Okay, so zero shillings yes. from a salary of $250,000 a year. Frankie? Um, my first salary, I think, was 14,000 shillings. 40,000 shillings? 14,000 oh, 14, shillings. shillings. Per month. Okay. Yeah, I was 21. So that's the first start. That was your start. Yeah. So 14,000 shillings. Yeah. Philip? Mine was a bit interesting. Uh, while I was in university, I actually got into contracts. So basically like some form of business. Uh, Self-employment of sorts. But in terms of like actual salary, employment, uh, that ended up actually being lower. And it was 40,000 shillings. 40,000 shillings. 40, 4 zero. Yes. Okay. Employment, 40,000 shillings. And Not bad. 40,000. <laughs> so, um, as an entrepreneur, of course, zero. Started at zero. Yeah. yeah. Um, for the people who, for the entrepreneurs who were at zero, right, when you're starting off at zero, you came from, in fact, you both had come from employment. Right. Um, if you can give us a bit of insight, if you had any financial regrets and how long those lasted for when you were making your zero shillings and for how long did you make zero shillings? And how did you survive at that point? So, I come from a background, I started a business in my 40s after a whole corporate career. So, I had savings, I come from a financial background, I was a financial controller, I was a CFO, so I'd saved, I had investments. So, there were no regrets, because for me, when I made this step, it was from the heart and it was prepared because I've done many financial modeling. I've had advice a lot of uh, entrepreneurs going into business. So I knew I needed to have a cushion for at least four years to sustain me. But I do happen because, again, I had worked 
and that lasted for even now, six years in, sometimes I pay myself, sometimes I don't. Because we are in the manufacturing business, it takes a really, really long time to break even. We are developing new products, and for you to grow, I still put money in the business to this day. Because developing new products, product development, um, creating, taking it to market takes it quite a while. But I feel I have this privilege that I had investments, I had savings, and I also have a skill that I still sell. I consult. I come from a financial background. Like I said, I was a CFO. I was a controller for Fortune 500 companies in the US. That is something I still do. So I still consult. So I don't need my business to live. So I can let my business be because I have a skill I can sell to live. Okay. I'll come back to a question for you, but let's hear Anne first. What was the question? Sorry. The question was, how long did you go with zero shillings per month? And how, have you, how long has that been? And how have you paid your bills? Um, unlike Waidera, I left employment um, without a plan. I didn't think it through. Um, and obviously, immediately I resigned. I, I regretted that decision. <laughs> I regretted it um, for a couple more months. Um, but I guess the, the drive was coming from that place where I wanted to be independent um, because I felt like I was, like having a job is not, or rather wasn't as stable as I thought it was. Um, and I was just looking for independence. So I, I didn't make money for maybe another, I'd say six months at zero. Yeah. So for six months you were... How, how are you paying your bills for those six months? Um, <clears throat> I was negotiating with my landlord here and there. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, I, I, I put in some money um, in a border border, um, and it would give me like small money for um, errands here and there, fuel, food. Um, yeah, and my, my parents were also very supportive during that season. Okay. Yeah. Again, I'll come back to you, but let me <laughs> hit up the employment guys for a second. So for Frankie and Philip, while you're in employment, so you have your first salary, 14,000 shillings, you have your first salary, 40,000 shillings. How long does it, are you content with your salary? Are you happy with the salary that you're making? How long does it take you to feel like you're not making enough money? And the third question is, how long does it take you to realize the difference between gross and net vis-a-vis -vis what KRA are taking? Um, <laughs> so it took me, it took me maybe three years for me to realize that I need to make more money uh, because I had to move out and now my bills are obviously changing. Uh, when you're making 14,000 shillings, you, you live with your parents are you in school? So this is sort of like, you know, extra income on the side because you still get fair in the morning. Your bills are not, your bills are basically your own <laughs> extracurricular activities. So, so that went on for maybe three years and then formalized with a contract. And you start making, you know, in your 40s, your 50s. 
um, then you start now seeing the value of money because then you can be able to buy stuff for yourself. Your first phone is not the first phone you buy for yourself, you know, away from your folks. That's exciting, you know. Uh, the difference between a gross, gross and net. Um, I, I realized quite late in my life that I always needed to negotiate from a net perspective. I used to quote a gross figure as opposed to the net figure. And then your first paycheck, post your new salary, you're like, what? <laughs> yes, statutories, you know, such things hit you really hard if you negotiate from a gross perspective. Yeah. Okay. Philip? Yes. So I think I got into uh, employment. I was very fortunate. My first employer was a startup, very young, very small, and very fast growing. So the, by the time I was actually now really looking at, oh, I, I'm not satisfied with this, was actually a couple of years later. Uh, because within the first, I think, three months or so, it doubled. Then six months later, it tripled. Things like I was expanding in my roles, growing really fast, uh, you know, just doing multiple things there and fully dedicated. I completely uh, stopped doing all other kind of extracurriculars. I, I, I used to play rugby for the national team back in the day, completely stopped that, focused purely on, on, you know, on the work. The time when I actually started realizing, hmm, I need, <laughs> this income needs to grow somehow, yeah. now was when, oh, you've got a wedding. You need to start a family, you need to start your home. Then I was like, yeah, yeah I need more income. Yeah. yeah, so and that was probably about four or five years in. Yeah. That was four or five years in. Yeah. Okay, what about, um, I guess, carry um, you know, tax, gross and net. When does that hit you and does that affect your negotiations for your salary? So, at the, so right from the onset, so I'm, I'm, I have a CPA background as well. Right from the onset, I used to negotiate based on net salary, but I realized employers actually just look at the gross, which is basically them asking, how much do you cost me as an, uh, you know, uh, from the company's pr perspective? So you just literally need to uh, negotiate from that perspective, but yeah. always have in mind what the net income is that you're gonna get home. The time when it really, really hit me big time was actually this year. I got a new job. And Ruto's taxes checked in. <laughs> yeah, that uh, extra percentages. Yeah, yeah it, it 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 really kills a lot of that income that come, that was meant to have come in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Ruto's taxes is, are the ones that really messed you up. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A question for um, each of you, I guess, within the perspectives that you are. What is it about the other side of the divide? Whether you're an employee, so you're looking at entrepreneurship. If you're an entrepreneur, you're looking at um, employees. What is it that you look at and you're jealous of for what other people in the entrepreneurship space are doing or what people in the employment space are doing? We can start on this side this time. Yeah. Man, I miss my salary. Yeah. It used to come every month. <laughs> When you're an entrepreneur, um, it's a bit different. So I've been employed, um, and now I'm an entrepreneur. Um, the thing I miss most is um, how, how your job would be. So like you have a job description, like it's listed. You have like, you know, 10, if it's too long, it's like 15 items, um, and that's your job description. Um, when you're an entrepreneur, especially when you're starting out, you're basically 
everything. You're the accountant, you're the marketer, you're the social media manager, you're the person in production, you're, you're doing literally um, everything. And sometimes I kind of envy that. I envy how back when I was employed, you know, if you had like, um, let's say, um, I used to be in finance, so, you know, we have budgets in place um, and we've sort of like have like sales projection and if they don't meet target, you know, you sales department and you're asking them, yo, what's up? Why are you guys not meeting <laughs> targets? Um, as an entrepreneur, you call yourself <laughs> for a meeting, a small meeting and ask yourself, you know, why are you not hitting your targets? Um, if you run out of, uh, let's say, your cash flow, you're the one to figure out where you're going to get um, money to finance whatever you need to finance. So um, I kind of miss that, but, but also I, I don't because it's helped me grow um, as a person um, in, in so many other ways than um, I could have if I was still employed. Okay. Philip? Uh, I'd probably say two things that, you know, I look out, uh, look forward to, like, with nostalgia of sorts. Um, one is just that 100% freedom of choice of what is it that I'm actually going to go for. Uh, well, I assume that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, choosing what exactly what you're going to do, uh, when you're going to do it, uh, and why you're going to do it. Um, meanwhile, the other side of it is just a pride aspect. Like, yes, I'm the one who built this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anna? I think the one thing I miss the most is battle of the minds. It's the exchange of ideas with other brilliant minds. When I was employed, in, you have a legal department, you have tax department, you have a whole finance department, and they're experts in everything they do. But being an entrepreneur, and especially at the beginning stages, you know you need these skills, but you're not at the point where you can afford them yet. So you're the vision holder for everything. There are days I wish I could just hand that off to someone else to deal with. The other part of it is, it's, I'm not jealous, but it's this part, when I was employed, there was, there was money, and I knew at the end of the month, I'd have a paycheck. I have no payroll, I have no responsibilities. I make everybody laugh, and I'm like, my girlfriends and I used to do the brunch at Tribe and massages at least twice a month. Now, no, no, we can't do that anymore. Um, I laugh when everybody, we go for a massage, and I do the calculation, and I'm like, wait, that's gonna cost, cost me 15K on a Sunday. I can pay internet, security, and electricity. No, we are not doing that. And I think just that's the part when you're going into entrepreneurship, you have to really commit and know where you're in it and know that there are days you would wish you had someone else to have these conversations with and someone else to take this button and handle it because you're so exhausted, but it's you and you have to deal with it. So when it comes like, what do I miss? It's literally like that exchange of ideas and other brilliant minds that I'm not the only one. 
and I say, I don't know everything, so I'm probably missing certain things because I'm alone. Not anymore, but you know, especially at the beginning when you're all alone and you're tired and you don't want to do it. I miss that, having come from employment where you could exchange ideas and get others' point of view and strategize with others. Though there are two things I look at from their side, and I wish I could have that every day. The first thing is, because they're in control, they're in control of the strategic direction, they're in control of the people, uh, they're in control of the narrative that they choose to tell about their company, and they can wake up one day and just change everything. So that level of control is, I'm envious of that level of control, because uh, being employed, that means that you have, you have ideas, but you have to follow a strategic roadmap that you know, has been sometimes set for the whole year or even sometimes two years, so because you don't own the product. So their ownership of the product, I'm envious of that. Uh, the second thing that I look at and I'm like, Ugh, I wish, you know, I wish that was me, is when they do get their big break, it's a big break. You know, you see them being bought out, um, or you get investors coming in and dumping in a bunch of cash into it. Um, I've seen people walk out with millions. You know, as when you're employed, you can only hope that the bonus this time will be maybe a 13th salary or it's going to maybe hit a certain percentage. So that big break, um, I guess it's something to really work towards, yeah. Okay, let me pivot off of that question for the entrepreneurs and reference the big break that Frankie's talked about. Um, have you got your big break, do you think? Have you got your big break? What, based on what Frankie's talking about, have you got your big break? Have you got your big money? Um, Takeaway yet. This is for both Anne and, and, and your way there. Not yet. And for me, it's because I exactly know where it wants to come in. So up to six years in, I bootstrapped. Like literally, I funded my own business. Um, between me, uh, some loans from the bank. And because I know the vision, and at the point I want that payout, I want to be the one, I'm not begging. This is what I'm offering you. This is what you need to give me. I need to be at the point where I'm calling the shots. And that's important for me. So I know what that point is, and that's where I'm working to get my business to. Because there's also, if you, get, you decide to go get money from outside too early or try to get that payout too early, then you end up shortchanging yourself. And for me, I know I came from a funding world. I've raised funds for a lot of businesses. So I know where that point is. We are getting there, but I'm very clear on what it is, and it's coming. Okay, how much would you, would you say that you've invested into your business from the day that you started to now? I've probably put in about, Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Probably approaching 100 million. 10 shillings? Yes. Okay. And you've not cashed out yet? No. Okay. Because I know where I want to cash out. Okay. Yes. 100 million Kenyan shillings so far. And same question for you. Um, have you got your big break yet? 
Sorry. Um, <laughs> have you got your big break have yet? I, yeah. Barack, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to be very honest, um, and because we are talking about entrepreneurship, I know a lot of people look at entrepreneurship um, and what you see is the big, the big break, but nobody talks about all the shit <laughs> you have to deal with. Yeah. Forgive my French, I hope you yeah. can edit that out. <laughs> nobody talks about just the struggle of getting there. Um, I, I create content on social media, especially on TikTok. I call myself unprepared to entrepreneur because I'm on a journey. Um, when I started, I don't even think I had like a good understanding of the big break why there is talking about. Today I do, but when I started out, I, I, I didn't know this stuff. Um, it's not the kind of stuff that you're taught in school. Um, and, and so it's been uh, interesting, and I would say I'm on that journey. Um, and every time I fail at something, I believe I get closer. And that's how I kind of look at it. So as long as I keep doing it, <laughs> I don't even know why I do it, but <laughs> I, I think it's coming. It's coming because I'm wiser. As, as I go through the journey, I, I get wiser. And I know more than I did um, when I started. Okay, um, let me, a question to Frankie and, and Philip, right? What is it like to not, or how do you ensure in your career, how have you ensured that you haven't gotten stuck in one role, whether it is via responsibilities, whether it is via the amount of money that you're making, how, how have you ensured for yourself that you're not stuck there and that you're able to ask for more money, get bigger roles, um, yeah. All right, so that's something that I've, experienced, I've gone through quite a bit and, and even thought through. Uh, one big principle that uh, I've lived by is play the role that you want to have, right? The, you know, the previous, the prior step to that is being excellent at your current job, so good at your current job that you're able to do it in like half the time, right? So if you're able to do it in like half the time, then the other half, you're able to actually, uh, you know, put in time into doing the kind of role that you actually want to, want, want to do. And the thing is when the employer, you know, your boss or, you know, even the founder of the organization is looking for, oh, who, do, who can we put into this, uh, you know, who can we promote, who can we, uh, you know, who's showing this good management skills, it's the people who've already demonstrated it. And how can you demonstrate it if you've not tried playing that role in one form, you know, in one shape or another. So that's, that's basically the general principle that I've, uh, that I've applied there. Okay. Um, I've always looked at the whole, the whole company and look at where I want to be in terms of the next role, map those stakeholders, start shadowing them. So I understand what makes them have those jobs and I start learning from them. So learn and learn many things. Um, be open to, uh, to being completely broken down in terms of how you do things to be deconstructed. Um, and then always ensure that once you, once you have your sights on something, you put a timeline to it. So if I wanted to, let's say, be uh, MD, I would put maybe a three-year timeline to it. And I'm marking milestones to see if my skill sets are starting to match up to the MD level in that timeline that I've set for myself. Yeah. 
Okay, tell me about the conversation you have with your boss to increase your salary. Like practically, what, what was that like? Or how, what has that been like for you in your employment career? Um, <laughs> I'd go and tell him, my guy, I did more money. <laughs> but this is, okay, without jokes, um, I used to be very uh, feisty about money and my own development. So I'd go to the table and say, this is what I've been able to achieve without you asking me to do it. So I want to be compensated for it. And um, one of my bosses one day told me, you know, one day you're going to come into this room and I'm going to throw you out of the window. Because <laughs> I used to have that conversation every November. So you asked for a salary increase every November? Yes. And did you get it every November? Uh, I was in one job for 14 years and I got eight pay rises. So every, every two years, essentially? Yes. Okay. Um, Philip? Wow. That is impressive. <laughs> uh, so I'm really trying to replay that. I don't think I've actually done that yet. Really? Yeah. Yes. You've not walked Funny into enough. your boss's office and look, I need more money. I'm doing X and X and X. Can I please have a raise? I'm, try I'm really trying to find an example. But uh, as I told you, like, so I've, I've been in the startup space. So, not, so I think this is another thing uh, which we also need to look at. Different, uh, not all employment is the same, right? Uh, different organizations offer different kind of opportunities. I've been in startups all through, right? With startups, the companies are typically growing like almost 2x every year or every two years. With 2x kind of growth, that means they're, they're basically, you know, almost, uh, you know, 50%, you know, like double the number of jobs, double the number of, you know, the revenue and all that. So you have opportunities to keep on uh, moving and, and, and as I mentioned, like right from the start, I think my, my salary, like with, at least with my first job, you know, it's, it went up like uh, without me prompting, right? Uh, it's just because now like, okay, I'm moving into another role, into another role, into another role. And you know, with certain role changes, that, that also would typically come in with, uh, uh, yes, with, with an in increased income or increased salary for that matter. Yeah. Okay. So both of you, so you've not had to have that discussion because it's come to you naturally because of the different positions that you've been in. And Frankie, you got eight salary increments in 14 years. <laughs> okay, um, from the entrepreneurship space, what does it look like to try and increase the revenue that you're taking from the business? If at all you're paying yourself, what does it look like practically speaking? And how do you even decide what you're going to pay yourself? So when it comes to, I'll speak to me, um, Paying myself hasn't been a priority because I knew my payout will come. And it was about increasing revenue. So for us, being a manufacturing business is increasing our basically footprint, the market, creating new products, penetrating new markets. So in the last two years, we've been working on the US market, which is doing really, really well because that also comes into the big payout. So I have never put myself as a priority to get me paid. But the reason for that is I also know I get income from other places. For me, my biggest one is to make sure 
my team is paid because we are not going to grow we are not going to get to that payout that beautiful space if they are stressing about not getting paid so my first priority as we are growing the market because i can't grow it by myself to grow revenue i need them so my priority is to always make sure no matter what is going on they are paid and they are paid on time because without them we are not going to get anywhere yep and same question um it's really the same the same thing right there i'm saying um and I, I, I don't want, you know, any aspiring entrepreneur to live here thinking, you know, I'm not going to get into this thing. <laughs> because truly speaking, your needs come last, unfortunately, at least at the beginning. Um, so you will find yourself prioritizing salaries um, to your employees, rent, for example, um, and growth. Uh, because you're looking to have your business grow. Um, and let's say I, I pay myself the same amount I was being paid when I left employment. That is money I can put into, um, let's say, our, our digital um, space and get more sales. So it's, it's always a catch-22. So, so yeah, so there are other priorities at the beginning. But I have run some small businesses um, as side hustles. Yeah, even entrepreneurs have side things. <laughs> Um, and, and one of them, I actually eventually sold, um, and that's how I got paid. So you, you can look at it as the big break um, Francis was talking about. Okay, in one way or another. I want to ask each of you about the darkest days that you've had in your relative spaces. And, and like actually tell us what, what was that darkest day, what happened, um, what was it like, why was it so dark? And what were your thoughts? Um, we lost um, we lost a contract that used to pay us quite. You know, it was a massive amount. We went for status. After status, they asked us to stay behind, and they told us, unfortunately, the contract is being terminated, and the notice is going to go out in two days. So the drive back. You just see everything just falling apart because you're now thinking this is your biggest vendor, uh, your biggest client. Your your biggest client is possibly taking 50% of your resources. So now you're trying to think what will happen to me, what will happen to everyone else, um, and how fast do we recover? So that was um, a hellish week. It ended up being three months of hell, but <laughs> we somehow ended up recovering. But uh, when, that, when you're employed and you have that one big contract that pays maybe sometimes 50% of your bills, and you over service, the clients ask you, you know, jump, and you, you're jumping over KCC and doing all manner of things, and you lose it. That is now the, the other side of employment where you're, you're not sure now. Because if your employment is tagged on performance based on value of contracts, you have to keep that client happy. And losing those big contracts ends up becoming, you can't sleep. 
Yeah. So if if you because you said it was hellish for about three months. So within those three months, are you saying you're having sleepless nights? Are you saying you're wondering whether you're going to get fired or whether you're going to get retrenched? Um, yeah. What are the like? What are the actual thoughts that are going through you for those ninety days? It's restructuring teams to now try and fit them into other businesses that are not maybe well resourced uh, and trying to make sure that everyone is covered from a work perspective but more importantly you're out there as a leader trying to understand how do I recover this loss who else can I go to who can at least help me recover if not a hundred percent of the value of the contract at least even 40 percent so that we're not bare bones um, in that three months you're not also trying to steal you know, switch off the client. You're promising them things. You know, I'll, I'll come to your house every morning. I'll make you breakfast. <laughs> but you're trying to make, make sure they don't live in their entirety. So you pull all stops to make sure that your people are safe, your business is safe, and more importantly, you're safe. Because there's something called a post-mortem after these big contracts leave. Um, and that postmortem is to identify what went wrong so that it never happens again. But that postmortem also identifies what the problem is. And sometimes you're the problem. <laughs> yeah. And you're left there wondering, okay, is it the day I, um, I go home and eat mkatena chumbi? Yeah. Okay. Anna? So just one that day. I'll come up with one because I, it's also a lesson to many of us in different things. Um, in entrepreneurship, it, you, know, you can start with a very sunny morning and then a stormy with hurricane and tsunamis by the evening. So I feel like mine came, and I'm gonna use this specific example because it has a potential to shut us down. And it goes around the regulatory issues. In 2018, when KRA literally started going around beauty shops and pulling products off the shelf, and this was to do with excise tax, uh, because in the finance bill 2015, they introduced excise tax for cosmetics, and then it went quiet. It was in court, in court for years, and then all of a sudden they've decided you need to be exercisable. So they've shown up at your super cosmetics, whatever, and they pulled your products off the shelf and they've harassed whoever retailer it is and you're getting your calls, getting go to carry. And at that moment, you're like, okay, what's going on? And they're like, you need to apply for an excise license. And you start going through the process and we realize to get taxed, to get this license for you to get taxed, is gonna cost you three million shillings. Yeah. To be compliant, to be taxed, costs three million shillings. And at that point, there's fines, there's penalties, and I'm a firm believer, if you wanna grow in entrepreneurship, don't mess with the regulation. Don't mess with the agencies that have the power to shut your business down. Be compliant, otherwise you won't grow. And that was, 2019 was pretty difficult because we had to go through this process of 
licensing. And if we don't do it, then we are selling our products on Instagram and we are not growing. And, and that is really something that came so close that I could lose everything I have invested in this business. And that, it, it was pretty dark. I think I, yeah, I always have sleepless nights, but I think that was the worst. Like I said, it's the government. They have the power to shut you down. So that was pretty scary. You talked about the three million shillings, like it was quite big. What, why, why was that such a big number for you at the time? What was it a percentage of? So the reason that number was so big is we did a plan. And this is also the thing about entrepreneurship is you plan, you plan. The one thing I always say, be agile, because no matter how much you plan, the only thing you can be sure of, something will go wrong. So we wanted to do a factory in about five years. So we were contract manufacturing. The plan was in five years, which was supposed to be 20, actually last, this year, 2023, would have our own factory. 2019, now we need to have our own factory because that's the only way for us to get this license to comply. So my plan, our plan for a factory, for what we had projected for 2023, has now been pushed to 2019. And we need to go get a factory, you know, get leases, get bonded, and, you know, get licenses, get so many other things that needed to happen. So that was literally bringing a plan we'd had for a financial plan for our business and bringing it forward five years earlier than we had planned. So you had that to that for, money so, wasn't there. Yeah, so you had to look for the money to try and figure out how you get this factory. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Philip, your darkest day in employment? My darkest days were, this was uh, COVID. COVID had just the onset of COVID, faced retrenchment uh, like two months after uh, it was announced in Kenya. Uh, mind you, just to give some context, at this point, uh, my wife and I had just uh, gotten our third child uh, just a few months earlier. And over and above that, uh, my wife had also you know, uh, taken time off work uh, you know, to basically you know, raise our children. So we were, based, we were all on just one income, uh, you know, since, uh, so since 2016 actually, right, when we got our first child. So I'm here supporting this entire family of five and the retrenchment has uh, hit us and that means zero income for the entire family. Uh, I was still paying off a mortgage as well. Uh, yeah, so, so that, was the, that was basically the darkest time uh, I remember the first week was just, you know, just getting, you know, having sessions with uh, therapy sessions, uh, just trying to figure out what's going on. Then, then after that, two, you know, the next two to four weeks later, it was just grinding 100% on, you know, just doing job, job hunts, right? Uh, I'm very, very fortunate. Uh, you know, through that entire job hunting phase, I did manage to get, um, you know, actually different job offers. I think about three of them. 
uh, and you know I managed to pick one of them, uh, and I was and I was very happy about that. But yes, that 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 particular period, uh, COVID. And remember, oh yeah, the other context about COVID is that that's the time when most companies were also just retrenching, heavily, heavily retrenching, downsizing, uh, reducing people's salaries. So I, I wasn't even confident that there was even anything out there in the first place. How long do you go before, you know, when the, when the retrenchment happens to when you get your, your job? How long, what's that period? How many months is that? So I think that ended up being about a month to two months. Uh, yeah, that, so that was the duration. Because remember, during this, I was going through a lot of technical interviews at that time. So, you know, you're given like some exam of sorts, you know, you come back, you're chatting with different people, you know, just having different stages of interviews as well uh, with all those different organizations. Uh, yeah, so it was a period of about a month to two months. And how difficult was it? Because you've talked about going through a couple of different interviews and then picking from three different jobs and picking one. How difficult was it to secure these interviews? Like, are you just applying on LinkedIn and you get your, your, your response letter, the, you know, a week after? Yeah. Actually, that in itself is a, is a big lesson uh, that I actually learned. So majority of these ended up even being referrals, right? So, you know, one of the big things uh, that, you know, I, I would definitely advise anyone is number one, wherever you are, just make sure that you're always giving your best effort, uh, you know, always performing, always doing great. Because the thing is, majority of these referrals were from people who I had worked with before. So it's, it's that they know the kind of person I am, they know the kind of uh, you know, authenticity that I bring to the table, and they, with confidence, tell guys, hey, is this guy you need to talk to? And you know, so, so securing the interviews were essentially, typically, basically through those uh, referrals. Uh, there, were just, there were a few as well that I was sending out the, you know, just I see an application and I, and, and I, and I apply, but majority of them, in fact, the ones which I ended up uh, narrowing down to, two of them were uh, referrals. The other one is one that I just independently, uh, you know, applied for. Okay, let's go to Anne. Darkest day in uh, entrepreneurship. Um, you need to ask me a positive question in the <laughs> next one, please. Let's not scare people. Um, so, for me, the darkest day, um, I think it was 2018 or 2017. Um, I actually 2019. Sorry, I'm confusing the dates. So I left employment um, and I started my company, Linity Dynamics Africa. We sell software solutions, and I landed my first big gig. Um, and I was really, I, I, I was craving the team. You remember what I talk about? What I talked about? You know, like a project manager, sales manager you know, to do this and that so that I don't have to do all the heavy lifting. And so I went, got myself um, an office, um, and that didn't go very well. So I completely, I would say I completely forgot. I don't know. I, did I forget or I, I just didn't know? <laughs> I can be honest here and just say I, I, I didn't know. Um, and so, I, you know, you assume you will build and they will come, and then you assume that the reason why you're building that product is the reason they buy, 
it's actually not. Um, sales is the heartbeat of your business. Um, and I completely missed that. I wanted to hand over the sales role to someone else. Um, and we weren't making any sales. So um, the deal that I had closed, basically I paid salaries and rent and bills and whatnot and until I had no more and I had to um, basically dismantle the furniture and go take it to storage somewhere. Um, the thing I learned through that process is, it's today if I had to make that decision, it would be quick fast. I, I wouldn't even stress about it. Like, I just look at the numbers, I, just, I look at the trajectory of the business, I look at how the economy is, 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 is at the moment, and I just make a decision. But at that time, I guess I was um, too emotionally attached um, to this baby that I was growing. Um, and at the time, it felt like the worst thing, the absolute worst thing that I had ever gone through. Today, I'll close. I'll go and I'll work from my other bedroom easy. That would be an easy decision, but it's, it's, it's the thing about entrepreneurship. Um, some of these things you grow, you, you, it's a journey, I would say. Yeah. Okay. A question around purely money, right? And my question to each of you is, you've lived your life in a certain track, I guess, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's employment, whether it's a combination of both. Do you think the life that you've lived so far and that you've chosen to live has earned you the most amount of money that you could have possibly made in your career path or in your chosen life, so to speak? Like, if, Do you think you've made the most amount of money you possibly could have made in your life up until now? You want to start on this side? Yeah? Do you think you've made the most amount of money you possibly could have made in your life based on the decisions that you've made and the career that you've had so far? Um, so far, had I stuck to employment, I definitely would have pocketed more, for sure. Um, but ask me that five years from now. That would be a different answer. But for now, if you had been in employment, you would have made more for money? For sure, yeah. Okay. Wow. What if questions are not the easiest? Um, wow. Just, I, I assume it's possible that I would have made more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I can't give the science to it, can I? Yeah. yeah. Are you content with the amount of money that you've made so far in employment? Oh, about contentment, yes, I'm content. You're content? Yes, Okay. I'm content. I have invested. So for me, it is, it's not about the now, because if it was about the money right now, I'd have chosen to stay in employment. But I have chosen to put an investment in something that will be so, so much bigger. And not just for me, but also create wealth for others. By going into entrepreneurship, I'm also making money and the repo effect for others, which was one of the reasons I went to entrepreneurship. I wanted something bigger than me. I wanted to help create wealth and financial freedom, especially for women in Africa. So for me, yeah, right now as we speak, would I be making more money employed as me? Yes. 
But do I have the potential to make way more by what I've done? Yes. Am I making a bigger impact by creating wealth and having other people make more money? Yes. And for me, that's what keeps me going. Well, I think if, based on what I know, if I did go into business, I would not have made as much money. Uh, because I, there are things I've learned over the years on how a business should be run that I didn't know before. So if I did go into business when everyone was trying to jump ship, I would be eating my nails. But so far, I'm content with, with the chosen journey I've taken. Okay, um, how, how, much, how much control do you think you've had over your career and your ability to make money? And by control here, I mean against luck, against a higher power, against um, opportunity. How much control do you think each of you have had as individuals in the chosen career path that you've taken and the amount of money that you've been able to make thereafter? Start this side. Um, I would say about 60%, and the reason I would say 60% is because it's the, self, the selflessness that I had to put in, um, the discipline I had to put in, uh, the, the rawness of employment I had to endure, uh, and more importantly, the lessons I had to learn and apply. So 60% goes into, all these things go into 60% of that control. So if I didn't have the discipline, uh, to, you know, be up at four in the morning. I picked up this habit, four in the morning to learn, go to bed at eight. But if I didn't have that discipline, I would not be able to, ex to get exposed to a lot of opportunities. So those things blend into that 60% in terms of the control I've had in getting to where I am career-wise. Yeah. The 40%, obviously, many other factors, people, places, God. <laughs> I wanted to say 100%, but as he put God in there, I realized maybe I shouldn't say 100%. Um, but mostly, I have control for the most of the time, because I have the choices I make. I uh, have who I choose to come in to help, whether consultants or teams or what products go to market. I also have the agility to make decisions very, very, very quickly. So if something is not working, we can kill that and go on to something else. Um, I have the agility to remove products, create new products, bring them to market, take products out of the market, and even how we interact with our customers and the tone. And that is not something I had fully in control while I was employed. So right now, I'll say I have about 95% because I can, we can listen to our customers. When my team comes and they tell me what's going on, we have the agility to move fast. But of course, there's a 5% that's beyond your control. There's nothing you can do about it. There's God, there is other things going on, there's COVID, there's economy, but for the most part, I have about 95% control. Well, um, 
I'd say it's, it's, it's pretty decent. Uh, I'd probably put it in that closer to his range, maybe 70%. Uh, I think with, with uh, options and with choices, then you just feel more empowered. Um, and I think that's one of the things which, uh, as I pointed out with the referrals, like so those referrals would always typically still come through even when I'm not looking. Uh, so as a result, you just feel that empowered, uh, you know, in, in that sense. And, you know, just have the ability to choose, okay, no, this is the kind of role that I want to go for. And it has actually worked in, uh, and, and this, this is something which I'd like to also probably advise guys, is when you are looking for a job, don't just say I want a job, right? Like just state, this is the kind of thing that I want to do, and this is what I'm looking for, and this is why, and this is why I feel like I'm, foot, I'm fit and ready for that kind of role. And I literally remember doing that, um, and a year later, someone uh, came up to me and was like, hey, I think I have a job for you that fits exactly that kind of, you know, like what, what you described. And that did actually come through. Uh, so, yeah, so I'd put it at probably that 70%. The other 30, you know, as you can state, at the end of the day, the founder of the organization chooses what you get, you know, which direction you guys are taking, ultimately. So, yeah, I'll, that, that's, that's the reason why. And? Um, I would say I'm 100% in control of my input. Um, and I think a lot of the time when we are going in business or as entrepreneurs, we really focus on the destination and completely miss the journey. So I'm in control of the input. The input that I put in my business or in myself um, for my own personal growth um, what comes out on the other end, um, it's completely out of control. Um, I mean, there's the government. <laughs> um, there, there are so many moving parts. I can't control that, but I can control the input. And sometimes you get positive um, output, sometimes uh, not so good. You take the lessons, you readjust your input, and you try again. That's how I look at it. So I'm 100% in control of my input. I can adjust, I can tweak, I can pivot, I can... I can do whatever really I, I, I'd like to do. So that I'm 100% in control of. Just the output is whatever the output is. <laughs> so there are a couple of questions that have been sent. Um, this one is to everybody on here, which is what do you do when you feel like giving up or when you felt like giving up in your respective fields? What's the thing that you do when you feel like giving up? You want me to start? You're looking at me. Yes, I want to start there. <laughs> Um, let me tell you a, an interesting story about the day I've had today. Like, I'm not talking about yesterday, I'm talking about today. I had a really good meeting in the morning, the kind that leaves you on a high. And at around 3 p.m., I was dealing with some stuff. Um, and it's, it's not been a great year um, for entrepreneurs. Business is really low. And this little thing happened at around 3 p.m. and I found myself in the car, in my car, crying, tears. I, I cried, I let it all out, um, and then I, I, I needed to show up. And I'm here not looking like how I cried for 30 minutes. <laughs> so that's kind of um, how, how entrepreneurship is. Um, the ups and downs, you have to just embrace them all. Okay. So is the, but is there something that you sort of do to get yourself back up? Is there something that you do to, you know, pick yourself back up, make yourself feel good? 
Um, I think I allow myself to feel at that moment. Um, then I, I like to um, call myself for a meeting often, a um, couple of times a day sometimes, um, and just literally analyze, like remove myself from the issue or the stuff I'm dealing with and just look at it um, objectively. Like what are we looking at and because the un in that situation is emotional, maybe I'm feeling hurt, maybe I'm feeling disappointed in myself, whatever. So, but when you remove yourself from that situation, you're able to look at the situation you're dealing with more objectively. And you can see maybe some areas you could have done better. Um, you could, you, you're able to see some of your blind spots. Um, and you're also able to see what you're not actually in control of. Um, and I feel like just feeling, then um, analyzing what I'm dealing with and, you know, just moving. Sometimes it can go for a day, I'll ne Netflix and chill, I'm not doing anything today, <laughs> and just be in that moment, but not too long. It can't be a week. In fact, it can't even be two days. Um, and then I keep it moving. Okay, so you give yourself one day to, like, cry it out, get over it. One day on. max. One day max. Today I had 30 minutes to get myself <laughs> together and okay. get, get here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Philip? All right. Um, in my case, like, when it's really, really, really bad, uh, you know, just take a look at, all right, who are all these little minions of mine? You know, um, so I've, I've, got, I've got four boys. Uh, you know, will they look at me and be like, oh, dad also gave up, yeah? So just making sure that they never ever get to see a case of dad giving up. The, but like just to draw from the example that I gave of during my COVID time is just number one, truly having that belief in yourself that you can figure it out, you can do it. And then number two is always take action, right? Um, so it's not just about a case of believing, but what action have you taken? You know, think through it well and just make sure you take action. The thing that which usually prevents people from taking action is fear of some sort, fear of rejection, fear of looking, uh, you know, dumb. Because like, for instance, like if, when you're out there telling people, oh, I'm looking for a job, oh, I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of a job, that can be embarrassing sometimes, quite frankly. Yeah, so, but if you get over it and actually take action, then you're actually gonna move on to the next step. Okay, that's Philip. So for you, your boys motivate you, your boys keep you moving, and to ensure that you're constantly taking action. Right, okay, Anne? I usually say I live life so shamelessly in me. I have no shame. So when those days come and I'm not okay, I am very okay with telling the people around me that I'm not okay. I have an amazing partner. I have a really phenomenal network. I don't actually call them network, they're friends that I can reach out to and say, I'm not okay. I've also created a relationship with my team that I'm honest enough to let them know I'm not okay today. I need time, we'll come back. And it's about being honest with myself and taking care of me in that moment and never faking it. Might take a day, may take two days, 
but it's looking out for myself, so I show up for everyone else. So I usually say I don't take my relationships lightly. I'm privileged to have some amazing ones, and I will always tell them what's going on. I have no shame in disappearing and real self-care. I'm not talking about self-care where I go buy myself skincare products and do my skincare routine, even though that's important, it's amazing. I am talking about getting away from everybody and doing something that is just for me and not trying to pretend to the world that I'm okay, because in that moment, I can't show up. So I usually says, my people, honesty with myself and the people around me so they can support me to show up again. Frankie? I sleep. I will... Um, have this... I'll take... There's a, there's a brand called Nightall. It's a, it's, it's a really simple sleeping pill. I'll take two at 6 p.m., sleep until 8 or 9 the next day, step back, then start looking at the mess, and then I'll start calling people. There may be three people that I'll be on the phone with consistently, and I'll tell them what's going on. Uh, they, there's no bullshit with those people. Um, and they don't expect me to give them bullshit. So I'll give them to them, give it to them in the rawest form possible. Then they will say, okay, this is what maybe you need to think about. Then once I have everything settled, I will get into a plan of action. But I'm a huge fan of sleeping it off. I will force myself to be in bed for at least 12 hours. My last question for you guys here is whether it's entrepreneurship or employment for you in your lives and your individual purposes, has it been about money or purpose? Which one do you think, it's, which one do you think is the bigger contributor for what it is that you do? And remember, when I'm talking about money and purpose, I don't want those, um, what do you call it, those... Uh, uh, TED Talk answers. No, because you do have bills to pay, you know? So is it about money or is it about purpose? And then my second question is, if you were living in a vacuum and you were able to make whatever amount of money that you needed to be able to survive, not excess and not less, but enough to be able to survive, would you choose employment or would you choose entrepreneurship? Because so that's my two-part question. I think we started there last time, so I'll start with you, Frankie. Um, well, it's a mix of money because money helps you advance yourself uh, money helps you take your mind to new places exposes you to new thinking new people so it's a mix of money and it's a mix of impact personal impact if i'm able to have my name you know under lights so there's this thing a few friends of mine we play around it's fame and fortune but the fame is not, it's not, you know, Nairobi fame. It's, it's not Nairobi fame, it's being known in the right rooms for your impact on different set of things. Um, if I was in a vacuum, I would actually choose to be employed. If I was in a vacuum, I would choose to be employed because there's something that um, 
that Anne said, you know, the, the depth of the people that you interact with in an employed space is invaluable. You can't get it when you're an entrepreneur unless you're, you know, you're breaking your unicorn and then you're able to afford all these people into the room. When you're employed, you get access to a lot of brilliant minds and different ways of doing things. So that's what I'll choose. Anna? So I would say mine entrepreneurship is about purpose, but I'm not going to sit here and lie. I'm not running a charity. So of course, money is also important, but the bigger picture of it is basically to make money, but being driven by purpose. If I live, if I was in a vacuum, I would choose to be an entrepreneur because of the impact it makes. I'm a bleeding heart. I want to help everyone in the world if I could. So I would actually choose to be an entrepreneur because that gives me the platform to do more in the world without actually having to worry about money if I was in a vacuum. <laughs> Philip. Cool. Um, so my employment journey has essentially just been about financial freedom, uh, trying to you know, increase my asset base to essentially just get enough passive income to take care of all my basic, well, my and my family's basic needs and propel me therefore into entrepreneurship. So I think it's just obvious for me, if I'm in a vacuum, it's, it's about uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, just looking at that passive income, uh, you know, that whole story, is, is that more about purpose and uh, versus uh, money, it's about money that leads to enabling me to freely go for purpose without uh, making the purpose also break a buck, right? Yeah. Okay, makes sense. Um. Um, I, any entrepreneur who's lasted more than six months, it's not about the money. I can assure you. <laughs> Six months is how long you do before you give up and look for a job. Um, and trust me, I, I, I sometimes it crosses my mind, like, what is this stuff I'm doing? Can I just go look for a job? Um, but I, the purpose is so much bigger. Um, and the thing I love most about the journey I'm on, and I've been employed, um, and now I'm in entrepreneurship, it's, it's like I discover Anne with every, like every single day there's a new version of me. I am constantly growing and evolving. And if you met Anne from, let's say, five years ago, she's not the same person. If you met Anne last month, if I tell you the stuff that has happened in the last one month, I am definitely not the same person. Um, and so for sure, entrepreneurship uh, from a, personal growth perspective, but also from um, like the bigger purpose. It's so much more fulfilling for me. Um, if I were in a vacuum, I'd still choose entrepreneurship because um, it's, I don't know. I am looking forward to meet the future version of me because I, I don't even know what she'll be about. Yeah. All right, thank you very much. A round of applause for the panel.
So I want to welcome questions from the audience. Anyone with a question, just shoot your hand up. I will come to where you are. Hello. My name is Philip, and I have a, a simple question. Like, what would you do differently, uh, you know, when you look back when you're in your early 20s, what would you do differently to become maybe a better entrepreneur than you are right now? For me, to be honest, nothing. Because the journey I set out to do in my 20s was very purposeful and very, it wasn't entrepreneurship, it was actually in employment. And that was to become the best and know the business world in the best way I could be. So I worked in various industries. I was in construction, I was in media. Um, this is my, my corporate career came up in the US. So in my 20s, I would turn out jobs, down jobs, because they didn't give me what I was trying to achieve as an individual. But that journey was me getting to the top and being the best and giving me the best skills. Actually, at that time, it was about making money to make the most money possible. However, those skills have come to probably be some of the best that have helped me in this entrepreneurship journey, in the agility, in the planning, in the networks, knowing who to reach out to. So actually, the path I set up in my career in employment has actually placed me in the best space as an entrepreneur. So I have no regrets. I wouldn't do anything differently. Hey, Waithera. <laughs> You're making me look bad. <laughs> There's plenty I would do different. But um, for me, I guess um, when I started out, I really, um, I really obsessed about the product, you know, it's like when you're selling a pencil, it's this shape, it's this long, it's this color, and, the, and the, it writes like this, and you know, you're crazy about the product, um, and you completely forget about the route to market. Um, and I mentioned earlier, um, the reason you build it is not the reason they buy, and just because you're open doesn't mean they'll come and buy. <laughs> so you actually need a route to market strategy. How are you going to get... Um, clients to actually buy your product. Um, so I would put uh, sales at the center of the business because if you, don't have, if you do not have sales, um, you don't have a business. And that's something I obviously overlooked when I started. And to add to that, the reason for no regrets, again, I had a longer career than you did. So those things you're speaking to, me being employed put me in rooms that allowed me to see that. So I'll give an example. My last job before I came back to Kenya was with CBS. If everybody knows the media company with the eye, CBS Corporation, it's media. And we used to sit in these rooms every Monday and there were battles. So content is king for programming. Sales is king for sales because they want commercials. <laughs> so what's more important? And just me sitting there as the CFO and observing the back and forth 
put me in this space, if I had just gone into entrepreneurship in my 20s, I would not have an idea. So those are things that, but I had the privilege of learning them from a very secure place with a salary. <laughs> By observation, so yeah, I would say um, don't go into entrepreneurship straight from school. At least get employed a couple of years. It saves you a lot of headache. For sure, the ex little experience I have has, has saved me a bit. So yeah, I agree with Oitera. My name is Matthew. Um, I have two questions. Two, uh, one question to entrepreneurs and one question to employees. Uh, the first question goes to the entrepreneurs. Uh, it's a short question, actually. Um, what length of, of, of time should you judge whether to quit your line of business uh, or diversify portfolio? Uh, because I tried a fast food and I closed it after one month. <laughs> I, I even tried a uh, tours and travels uh, uh, company and I've done two trips so far, so I don't know. What length of time should you judge whether to quit or diversify? So that's to the entrepreneurs. And uh, uh, to the employees. I want to speak on the behalf of GNZ. We have a challenge. We have a challenge because we are done with studies, you want to be employed, we go to the employment, we find uh, the senior management and the intermediate uh, management are elder people. They're in the 40s, they're the youngest on some 50s, 60s. Yeah? So you can tell in terms of technology, those guys are a bit, uh, I don't want to say behind. <laughs> Yeah, but they can't compare to us. That's the point, what I want to say. So, um, this is the issue, yeah? When you go to uh, these employments as a Gen Z, you find there are things that with technology you can do in minutes. You understand, the, uh, you understand that? So you can do in minutes. But these guys, eh, they struggle to do it in days. They are, they are your elders, they are your seniors. And if you offer to help, if you offer to help... Uh, do that in minister to think you can. It's like you are threatening the office, you are threatening their jobs. Uh, to the employees, how can you advise a young person who feels like they can be useful, but they are not being utilized? Thank you so much. God bless you. So I'll start with entrepreneur. When should you know when to quit or when to diversify? The one thing I'll say is know your business numbers inside out. And this is the one thing entrepreneurs don't like to do. It's the numbers. But that is the health of your business. And you should be obsessive about it. It doesn't need to be you. Get someone good. Do your forecast. Do your budgets. Do your financial projections. Know where your break-even is. So it's not about a time, it is about what is the health of your business in numbers terms. Ask for those management accounts every day. Sit down with your accountant. And I tell everyone this, and I know entrepreneurs especially, I come from a finance background, but most don't wanna do this. If you don't, you'll probably fail. And that's how you tell, because it's the health of your business presented in three pages. Your P&L, your cash flow, your balance sheet. Are we making money? Are we losing money? Do we have 
even the prospect of making money. And if you're not making money, it's a hobby. Get out. I have a bit of input. Um, when you're starting out, you don't have a PNL. <laughs> There's actually nothing. You know, you just have a product and you have no idea where, how or why, you, you know, how you're going to sell it. Um, so at the beginning, yes, numbers are very, very important. I advocate for that. I'm, I'm also a CPA, so I don't know if Barack chose us by our, <laughs> but yeah. So numbers are important, but when you're starting out, there are no numbers because there are no sales. So like, <laughs> and I understand where he's coming from. He said he gave up in a month, Matthew, one month. One month is not enough. You probably picked um, the wrong product. Um, I'm sure you guys listen to TikTok and they give you a list of businesses you can start for only 5,000 and you can make so much money and then you rush in there and then you realize, oh snap, um, I can't sell shoes or I don't know, whatever product it was. Um, so when you're looking to start a business, um, it actually, it takes more thought than just picking the product. You need to figure out what, your, what the product is, yes, um, your target market um, profile, your customer, figure out how you're going to um, get to, to them, your route to market. There's, there's so much more um, that goes into, into it when you're starting a business. Okay. Um, based on the question about, uh, you know, dealing with the old, you know, the, the old uh, what do you call it, bosses, employers, uh, and, you know, you're trying to give them, you know, use technology to do this thing much faster. I can probably look at it from two, two ways. A, you know, barking up the wrong tree, which basically means that, uh, you know, maybe it's just not the kind of organization that, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that appreciates that kind of thing. Uh, there are many other organizations that have much younger people. Or try and find someone else within the organization, right, uh, who would appreciate that, uh, you know, that technology. And, th and this is, and the, the thing is, it's very valuable to use technology, right? The, the tools that you use, uh, you, you know, the tools that you use uh, are important. I'll give an example. Take an accountant, an accountant who's doing math, you know, doing the accounts using no technology at all. Then you have the one who uses a calculator. Then you use. Then you have the one who uses Microsoft Excel. Then you have the one who uses, you know, a system like an ERP or Sage. The person who's least valuable is the one who has who doesn't understand how to use any of these tools. The person who has who's most valuable is the one who uh, is using the best technology. So, and if you are the one who's able to use that best technology, you are going to be more valuable. If you've especially uh, used it, you have that skill and you can actually get a bigger income wherever else you, you're looking for another role or another job? Um, I would say in this situation, you look at um, tapping into your soft skills. So your soft skills here would be find an ally in the organization uh, because humanly, no one wants to be told they're doing the wrong thing. So find someone in the organization who can, you can learn from and you can teach them something then that ally becomes your in to teaching everyone else. 
uh, in such situations, always lean to your soft skills, uh, because if you go kifu ambele, uh, those guys will see you as a threat, but you're not a threat, you're adding value to them. So once you've gotten your ally and you've proven the value of the skill that you're bringing into the organization, and that value being, if, we, if we're able to execute certain tasks faster, then we're able to pick up more items or more tasks within the organization. So tap into your soft skills, get into an ally, use that ally to attack the larger uh, base of uh, the old people who are <laughs> technology um, agnostic or they don't know what they're doing, then eventually you might end up winning. But if you go Kifuambele in an organization, um, you'll get that feedback quite fast. They're going to block you out of so many things quite fast. There's two more questions. So we'll ask those two, and then we close it at that. Yeah? Hi, my name is Jacqueline Wero. I'm a mechanical engineer. Thank you so much for the podcast, Barack. My question is, especially to the ladies, have you faced any salary discrepancy in under whichever capacity that you have worked in? And now for your organizations, what are you doing to ensure that there's, the, there's no salary gap between the ladies and the men, regardless of their age? Yeah, thank you. My name is Cheryl Marty. So my question is, in your entrepreneurial journey, have you ever been in a situation where you're too attached to the business or to the product you're providing? Um, despite probably it's not doing well or it's failing, and uh, you have made bad decisions due to how attached you are to um, your business. Good evening. My name is Kelvin Nash. I'm an economics and an IT. And uh, I'd, initially, I'd started a company, a hotel, actually. It never got well, and I closed it. Like what you, Madam Anna, was trying to say, that I learning and putting the emphasis. You know, I've been on a situation whereby you get like, my profession is very far from hospitality, but I uh, had to venture in to learn because I had an interest of uh, starting a, an hotel. You get it, huh? So I went in. I never wanted to take another degree of, the, of that sort. So I went in, learned, and uh, if you understand Kiswahili, like, yeah? So I tried it, but uh, what I did, I put some profession, people who are based on that, they failed me, one of my sisters. In fact, she's the one who failed me more, and it collapsed. So you as the entrepreneurs, yeah? Uh, I would like to get some guidance. So far, I'm into programming and uh, sort of that. Thank you. Um, let me paint a picture of how emotional attachment has played in the past in my journey. Um, so, I spoke about the office I opened. It was in a very fancy address. Um, nice building. If you come to see me, you get parking. Um, and obviously I had employees um, and it had a carpet 
and that 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 was really good for my ego. It, it felt nice, like, and, and I'm assuming this could also be like, let's say, how your social media page is, how it's laid out, the color schemes and whatnot, and maybe that particular decision is actually not making you money. So for me, for me, it was the office, and it 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 I. I had attached that to like success, which is not. My bank was telling me, no, Anne, you're, you're running broke. <laughs> you need to close this damn thing. But, you know, it, it took me such a long time because I was really, really attached to it. Um, so the thing I would ask you is to sit with yourself, by yourself, Kokona Mahali. Ask yourself, what is this you're struggling with? And is it a you problem or is it a business problem? Because if you look at it from like a, like a, you know, as a business, I'm sure you already have the answer. If you look at it as a you problem, then, you know, you're just complicating things for yourself. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Emotions, they're attached to every product. But when I was coming into the business, Best advice I ever got, but the person, our first product to market was Sense. We are known for body mist. And I'm an outlier when it comes to Sense. You know, you have, you know, you'll have outliers over here. You have the middle, which is where the most of the population is. I tend to fall way. And when I wanted to create the first product, I wanted to create what I liked. And I had an advisor. And he actually told me something. It is not about you. And that's the best advice I ever got because it's so easy to get attached and emotionally attached. So we first went to market with two body mates and I'm giving, you, I'm giving you as a story as what happened. And the first time we did an activation and it was at Ava Pharmacy at the current hub. And people, I actually took two friends of mine so they could be there for moral support. Because for me, if you don't like the product, it, it is about me, but it is not about me. So I had them there so that if somebody came in and they decided they didn't like it, they'll be like, mm -mm, move, it's not about you. So yes, it is easy to become very emotionally attached, but you have to remember it is not about you. It's a business, it's about your customer. Doesn't matter how much you love it, if your customer doesn't love it, it doesn't matter. And I think there was a lady who asked about salary discrepancies. I've been employed, and for the most part, and I can say this from a very educated perspective, I was always in finance, I always knew what payroll was. No, I have never faced salary discrepancies from the male based on what my experience level was at that time. The only one time it ever happened is, I remember taking a job, it's actually not a job, it was within the same company but picking up a different role, and I accepted less than what I had wanted. And in three months, I was so discontent I was about to quit. So this is the advice I will give. If you have a value on yourself, on what your salary should be, 
don't take class. Because if you do, you're still gonna be discontent in a month or two, and it's even worse. So let it go. That's it, because it happened to me. And this was way later in my career. I ended up getting, once I raised it with my employer, I ended up getting way more than actually what I had originally asked for. But by the time I had checked out, the money didn't matter anymore. So pin your value and stick to it. And then there was a gentleman who was asking about entrepreneurship. So the one thing you have to accept in entrepreneurship is failure is a real thing. You have to be comfortable with failure. You will fail, but it's not, I call them, I actually don't call it failure, I call it experiences. Because now you have more knowledge to move on to the next thing. We have products we have brought to market that have completely flopped. And yet we did the due diligence. We did the market research. We even went around and asked people, but when we released it, it failed. And you have to put that to bed, start out with new things. And you will end up spending money in places and you're like, wow, how did we mess that up? But don't get stuck on it. So yeah, you will fail, but go for it. Entrepreneurship is about taking the risk for a bigger reward. And you have to have an appetite for risk, believe in yourself and go for it. And know you'll fail. It's not gonna be perfect. Perfection does not exist. Yeah, so he spoke about uh, jumping into programming. Uh, I think that's the last uh, question that he, he, he raised. Uh, within programming technology, the biggest thing that you need to really do and build up is your portfolio. So, which is, um, and portfolio here would be on GitHub, all right? So, so just make sure you get, you build a very good profile. Uh, that means that, you know, you can even just do gigs for free or even your own projects. But as long as people can actually see, you know, your GitHub repo, uh, they can see the things that you've built, um, that's the stuff that you actually go in, uh, you know, uh, for these technical uh, interviews or, uh, or even to get any of these programming, uh, you know, contracts, right? So, so that's the biggest thing that you need to really work on, which is uh, your profile. All right. Thank you very much. A round of applause for the panel once more.